gave me this £5,000 grant and that really got me kick-started. It, it was the moment that I felt, okay, well, it's all well and good having an idea, but now someone else believes in me and they are putting money behind me. Now I have to make it happen, deliver on this. There's always a level of unknown and uncertainty, but I've never let that phase me as such. Like I kind of embrace uncertainty and so I lean into that and it kind of excites me rather than scares me per se. Do you feel there is an entrepreneur in everybody? Hi, I'm Richard Osborne and this is Drive, the business podcast where I speak to business owners, entrepreneurs about their life, their journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Today's guest is Rajib Day, somebody well-educated who was expected to go on the corporate ladder or working within government, but instead decided to get into the rough and tumble of small business. Somebody who was instrumental, the co-founder of Startup Britain as part of Tony Blair's government. Rajib has seen every level of startup business, working with apprenticeship projects, as well as supporting and sitting on the board of a number of organizations. He shares with us today the tips, advice, and what he's learned along the way of what makes a successful startup. Raj, thank you for joining me. It's great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. No, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's uh, I, I love doing um, some of the research and prep for today and having sort of conversation with yourself because the, the thing that really stood out to me about yourself is it's like the pace in which somebody so young at such a young age really hit the ground running from the moment you come out of university to sort of launching into what if don't mind me saying sort of high profile projects um, and impact into business uh, which is uh, or to use an, an investment term like a bit of a unicorn uh, so it was uh, it was a really interesting read. Um, really like looking sort of doing that sort of research. And I, you know, from this conversation today, I'm really looking forward to sort of getting underneath the skin of that and starting off like what really sort of motivates you and gave you that drive at that very early age. Uh, and I think really probably um, where my research started and please sort of fill in any bits that um, I couldn't find uh, is where you started at Oxford University looking at sort of economics and management and the study in there. So it goes without saying that you sort of started at a good foundation, a good pedigree. Like a lot of leaders, uh, country leaders, the prime ministers sort of come from the same sort of, edu you know, that education. Um, but that's where me looking in the story starts um how does that fit in with your memory well, well actually it, my, my entrepreneurial journey started just before that actually so so i, I first kind of started uh, as an entrepreneur when i was 17 so li literally the year year and a half before joining uh, uh studying at oxford uh it started with a social enterprise um called student voice around giving school students a voice in their education. Uh, and I'd say, you know, I always call myself an accidental entrepreneur. So I kind of fell into it. I didn't know the term entrepreneur at the time. Um, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing was being entrepreneurial. I literally 
had an idea. I, I, I saw, you know, that the in the education system in the UK, the the school students who are the customers in the education system didn't really have a voice uh, about the education they were receiving. And I found out that most countries in Europe had national bodies representing them uh, and wanted to do something about it. And so um, I suppose I was connected to an organization called Unlimited, which is a foundation for social entrepreneurs. And this is, you know, I was doing my A-levels at the time. And that really was pivotal in, in kind of changing my career path because they gave me a £5,000. I still remember they, you know, they came to where I live. We met in a local library, the, the awards director, and he, you know, asked me about my idea and, you know, what I planned to do and afterwards gave me this £5,000 grant. And that really got me kick-started. It, it was the moment that I felt, okay, well, it's all well and good having an idea, but now someone else believes in me and they are putting money behind me. Now I have to make it happen, deliver on this. And that really, I'd say, changed my career path. And as you said, as I went into Oxford, um, I just continued on that journey. So getting involved with the Enterprise Society when I was there, becoming the president of the Entrepreneur Society, starting various ventures afterwards. But yeah, I would say that the the actual entrepreneurial journey itself started at 17. But if you go you know, even further back, I'm sure if you speak to my parents, they would say that I'd always demonstrated kind of entrepreneurial tendencies and uh, and I had those attributes, um, but obviously, you know, when when you're young, you don't necessarily, and particularly back then, I don't think there was uh, as much of an awareness of entrepreneurship in schools. And and over the years, it's been great to see, you know, that has really changed, and and people talk about running a business and 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 being an entrepreneur in schools, which was not as much the case when at least when I was in school. When you say there's more in school about entrepreneurialism, what do you see? Yeah, I think there's been there's been a whole range of initiatives, um, so kind of not for profit company uh, organisations and charities like you know, Speakers for Schools and the work that Young Enterprise have done, and and um, I don't know if it's still running, but but a few years back um, there was a competition called Tenor, which a, a friend of mine, um, Ollie, had kind of co-founded, where you know, give kids ten pounds and see how they can multiply that, and and so I think you know over the years have been a lot more kind of initiatives you've got kind of kind of enterprise focused kind of courses now taking place there are um kind of technical kind of colleges and stuff where it's it's studied and so i just think there's a lot more awareness and there was you know so i'm 37 so when i was at, at school it, it, i don't think it was talked about but I, I would say you know you're right richard that that the experience is probably still patchy uh, and and it kind of depends where you go the level of resources they have, the, the kind of teachers that are there, their exposure to, to entrepreneurs, their ability to attract local entrepreneurs or people to come and speak and inspire the students. Because, you know, when you do your work experience in schools, it's it's still quite standard. Like, there there isn't really the option to, to... There aren't... People don't necessarily have the opportunity to connect to to entrepreneurs and go do some work experience with them. They may not know who they are. They may not know how to approach them. And that really, I suppose, was the premise of my first venture when I was at university, which was internships, which was about entrepreneurial internships. So moving away from the school space but to the university space, the same challenge was there, which was university students are only exposed to bank to banks, law firms, accountancy firms, you know, big corporates when they do the so-called milk round. 
you know, you didn't have any exposure to the startups or SMEs. Um, they didn't have the brands or the HR departments to go and engage with uh, university talent. And so that's why I thought to myself, aspiring bankers, lawyers and accountants do internships. What can an aspiring entrepreneur do? Well, other than starting your own business, the best way to learn about enterprises to work in a startup but how do you find those opportunities and that's why i started the listing site um, to connect uh, startups and smes to interns and graduates um really you know to, to solve the same problem that is kind of hap- that also happens at, at school level but even more so even at university um, but even that i would say the culture has changed over the years if i think about when i graduated in 2008 to today there is far more awareness of working in startups, being a being a founder, being an entrepreneur. There's just, you know, in the media, whether it's kind of um, TV programs, like even the Apprentice format that changed from working for Alan Sugar to actually running your own business. You know, those programs have their pros and cons, but general mass awareness, I think, has has definitely gone up over the years. The um, uh, I've got some questions about um, sort of startup Britain that relates to that. But um, before we get to that part, one of the things uh, that intrigues me is when you um, you're in an environment um, and um, the some may have a perception or perhaps accurate perception, but you're in an affluent environment because Oxford has a reputation, has an image, and it's the it's um, where the creme la creme may go. Um, and you generally, if you're in that environment, you're you're in a comfortable environment as well. And you're right. Um, going back across all universities generally, but particularly in an Oxford University, you're expected to go into a particular channel, uh, whether that be for government or whether that be sort of large corporate um, at a senior kind of level as well generally. But you're thinking about startups at that time and you're thinking about um, the sort of uh, ragtag groups, dare I say, who are sort of like scraping by, scrapping around, trying to, you know, getting their businesses off the ground. And that's where, you know, let's think about, you know, going from a university environment, um, particularly an Oxford University environment as well, and thinking about these are great opportunities and we can go and do this and, and you know, both two-way support here. Uh, that intrigues me. And I'd love, you know, why was that on your radar? Various things. So, so firstly, because I had already, by the time I'd entered Oxford, I was already running, started the social enterprise student voice and giving school kids a, a voice in their education. I actually found myself being more preoccupied with that than even university life because it, that was quite time consuming. And so I would basically study in Oxford, but I'll be back and forth in London running this organization, setting this organization up. And so I had already had that kind of entrepreneurial bug. And then I felt that, you know, that my time at university is going to be short. I need to engage with wider university life. And that's when I got involved with the Oxford Entrepreneurs, which was the Society for Student Entrepreneurs. That was great because, you know, you got to connect with like-minded people who all kind of felt that they wanted to do something different, do something for themselves. And kind of through that, I then became the president of the society. I, I took a year out of my degree to run that society full time. 
um, and I had amazing exposure to you know all the dragons from Dragon's Den or like high profile entrepreneurs would come and speak to, to our society um, students and members and so I you know I was exposed to these people managed to develop that kind of strong networking community early on um, I had done internships at both Bank of England and Boston Consulting Group and was very fortunate to have job offers at both organizations but I, I kind of realized I didn't think I wanted to work for anyone I'd I didn't think I'd be good as an employee. I, I, I appreciated the experience, but I did, it didn't fulfill me per se. And in all honesty, actually, you know, BCG were, were really nice. They had said, look, we'll defer your job for two years. Go and do what you want to do and, and come to, back to us. But I knew, you know, six months in after leaving university that I didn't want the safety net. I, I didn't think it was healthy to have that because I felt that, you know, if I know at the back of my mind I've got this job to fall back, on I wouldn't necessarily give it my all so you know I contacted them and said look I really appreciate what you've done here but I I don't intend on on availing this opportunity so it's best that you hire someone that's going to go and work for you um so I think it was a combination of having already started something early recognizing that um if you have an idea and you can get people behind it things can happen getting that kind of adrenaline rush then surrounding myself whilst I was at university with like-minded people, being exposed to very successful entrepreneurs. It was a combination of all of that that gave, and gave me that confidence. And then, you know, I, I don't want to downplay the fact that my family have been very supportive in whatever I wish to do. And I think, you know, it, it'd be unfair to if I didn't have that. And if, for example, I'd have been kicked out or I didn't have family and I'd have to start, you know, earning a, a big salary straight out of university, I, I probably wouldn't be able to do what I, I, I've done because that's just a fact of life, right? And and I think that one of the things that I kind of often say that is being an entrepreneur, particularly at that early stage, is it's just an extension of university life. You're just used to living on very little, getting by with very little and just, um, you know, making things happen. And whereas a part of me thought, you know, if I take a job now, and I get used to a nice, comfortable salary, a nice diff- kind of level of lifestyle, it's going to be even harder for me to make the transition back and let that all go. Whereas actually, I don't know any different because I never went into that life. I never had that corporate job and that nice salary and all the perks that come with it. So I just, so for me, it was just an extension of university life by going into continuing being an entrepreneur straight out of university. Um, so in, in a way, I kind of admire people that have done it differently and that have actually taken that leap and when they're later in life they've got a family they've got mortgage they've got you know far more risk to then step away from that and to start their own business arguably that's even more difficult than what i did which was just shun it from day one and think that you know this is not for me i'm going to go and create my own path so to speak having heard that question so many times of when's the right time for me to start the reality is is when you've got nothing to fall back on, that, in my view, gives you that fear factor, that determination, that sort of like, um, where's my next dinner coming from kind of drive that you have to make this work now. For as long as you've got that safety blanket behind you, that little sort of comfort to wrap around things, I've still got this little bit of salary coming in. 
you're not going to give in it all. And then the same vein, you mentioned programs like The Apprentice or you mentioned Dragons earlier. Uh, I've got investors here and I know my investors won't like me doing another job on the side or, or another primary job as well because whether you've got investors or it's your own business, you need to give it your all. You need to put 100% into it. The uh, Otherwise, you're putting 50% into it, so it's only got half the chance of success whilst you're putting your other 50% into your safety net. The um, I like that analogy, uh, not analogy, but that what you just described, but also um, family is important, whether it's your um, spouse supporting uh, in what you're doing or being a part in what you're doing or you're like many cases, you know, we've had other guests who are parents behind them who have enabled that to happen, um, particularly in the way that I'd say the economy is and things here and now <clears throat> the um because the cost of living's um so much more as well so mm. when i started I, I i use the quote now i started quarter of a century ago the uh <laughs> things were um not as expensive to live quarter of a century ago the mortgage was a fraction of what it is now the um today would be crazy i wouldn't want to even i can't imagine starting from the ground now uh people do and it's amazing they do but yeah i can't imagine it um you mentioned yeah i mean the one thing i would say just on that though is that i think there are more opportunities to start the kind of side hustle i suppose it depends on what your what fulfills you right so so the people that are like maybe i'm not ready remember so that's very understandable and there, there is a fear. The question is like, what is actually holding them back? Is it the reality of, am I going to earn X to kind of pay my bills? And I think the question there and the, the answer to that is, okay, well, you know, there's the concept of you've got your nine to five, but there's also the five to nine, which is like, what could you do in your spare time on the evenings and weekends? You can start a micro business. You can use kind of tools online. You can set up a Shopify site. You can use free marketing on social media you can get stuff up and running depends obviously what you're trying to do obviously if you're trying to side a real estate based business then no you're going to need a high level of investment up front but if you want to there are so many tools software like things out there where you can just trial and just test the waters before you make the full leap um i think that is a big difference versus 20 25 years ago where just starting something like typically have just a bit more consideration like it's a bit harder just trial something out and whatnot um but i also take your point that you know in order to really be successful you do have to give it your all but i i can empathize i can understand why it holds people back where they do have mortgages kids whatever and they, and they can't necessarily take that entire leap of, of faith so I think there are, yeah, it's it's complex. But what I would say is, is the mindset or the question that I ask people is, what's the worst that can happen, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think this is sometimes that holds them back. Sometimes it's just the fear of failure or the fear of rejection. And and if you turn that around and say actually, okay, so someone might say no, but what if they said yes? What what would then happen? And I think. Sometimes it, it's actually more a psychological blocker than anything else, than, than even a practical blocker. It's just that fear, as you say, in a negative way that holds them back. Um, and you know, challenging someone to really understand what is it really that's holding them back? Is it 
a, a practical thing around financing or is it more a, a psychological thing? I think on the psychological one, that's where you can support someone to overcome those those barriers. Yeah. Um, the you mentioned you dive straight into internships um, as your first business because you you obviously had the bug at that point. Um, you was like, this is this is what I want to do. Um, the uh, and although you'd obviously you had the experience of student voice, uh, I'm making an assumption here. Internships was a loan without a bit of um, sort of grant money to get you up and started. Uh, unlimited. I think that comes with a bit of mentoring as well, doesn't it? If I'm yes. Yep, yep. <clears throat> so the uh, again, so I'm making an assumption here that you didn't have that wrapped around you. The um, I see it. It's sort of. Um, it didn't hit the ground running and in that sense. So you was um, out there getting a startup up and running from the ground up. The How scary was that? So the, I suppose the evolution of internships is interesting because it started as a simple listing site just for Oxford students when I was a student. So it started again, sim similar vein of, of with student voice in a way, but... Uh, it was more in response to a problem that I was facing, which was, um, well, not necessarily I was facing, but I, I recognized, which was that as the president of the Oxford Entrepreneur Society, I was often being approached by startups that wanted to advertise jobs to our members. They didn't have a brand of a McKinsey, a Google, a Goldman Sachs or whatever to get the attention. So like they would approach me, I would have to put something in a newsletter and say, okay, there's this startup that's looking for someone, do you want to get involved? And so it kind of started through that, which was just these companies are approaching me, they want talent, they can't do it in any other way. So it was it was already like a listing site whilst I was an undergrad. And then when I graduated in 2008, the start of the graduate unemployment crisis, Lehman Brothers Bank had collapsed, um, the job market had become really tough. I, as I said, I was fortunate I had two, these two job offers I could have gone into, but I just thought, you know what, that's not the right path for me. I want to do something positive. I want to be able to help um, people recognize their alternatives in the market. And we need a more entrepreneurial narrative in society, kind of, you know, make a job rather than take a job type type narrative to, to go out there. Um, and, and so I wouldn't say it was scary per se, because I knew what I was doing was helping people. Um, I knew that was, and I was quite lucky that, you know, early on, I think it was, the timing was quite apt because of the situation. It got picked up in the Daily Telegraph quite early on by one of the reporters. Um, it, it, we got, you know, some good kind of traction and we were doing something quite different. So, so yes, I think uh, there's always a level of unknown and uncertainty, but I've never let that phase me as such. Like I kind of embrace uncertainty and so I lean into that and it kind of excites me rather than scares me per se. Um, and I have to say like on that journey, I've had people who have kind of supported me or I've just gone out and found whether it be angel investors or, or mentors and advisors. And I think it's really important early on that you develop that network of, of people around you to support you and you'll be surprised by how open and helpful people can and want to be um i'm building up a picture of somebody that um i'm putting words in your mouth here but um i'm going to lead this 
the uh, I, I'm going to sort of I'm going to be at the front of this. I'm not going to be in second, third place, or uh, or just um, what you know somebody else will do that. I'm, I'm going to lead it. Uh, you mentioned earlier that opened doors to um, people like from the drag dragons den and the dragons themselves or other sort of leaders in business. Um, so I can see now as we've been talking, sort of how that can lead itself to uh, somebody who's not long out of university um, starting their first business is now finding themselves um, sat at, in Ten Downing Street talking about a venture um, to bring the whole country out of the credit crunch through, and if I get the words right here, um, an enterprise-led recovery. <clears throat> the Is that sort of a fair assessment of sort of that question? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think it, it goes back to you know the time being 17 being at school and also you know one of my favorite quotes is is from gandhi which is be the change you wish to see in the world i think that's just generally my mentality which is if, if i've got a problem with something i'm not going to moan about it i'm going to try and fix it and i think that's that's just innate in my personality like i'm i'm very i'm always jumping to solutions like e even if you just talk to me about something I'm, I'm always thinking it who can I connect you to how can I solve this like I'm ve that's very much in my nature and character but I think that that comes from a lot of that kind of self-belief and drive that I got early on from that time of being at secondary school setting up an organization again I've been I don't know fortunate may be the word or time I don't know what it is but I've, I've kind of been thrust into public like life or spotlight quite early so i remember you know when i was 17 the times education supplement which is the most respected publication in the education kind of in industry arguably read by teachers and and whatnot they had a big article on i think it was a page three um feature on me and what i was doing around student voice and stuff and so this is me you know i remember the picture of me in my bedroom with my a-level notes and stuff on the wall and whatnot and so I kind of was thrust into this thing of having to deal with the media. I then was asked to go speak at public, the, the political conferences for all of the major political parties about the role of student engagement and, and kind of young people in democracy and what kind of... So and I think those opportunities came my way. And I think the... And a lot of people, not a lot of people, but people may get those opportunities, but they may not embrace them. And I think the difference with me was that I said yes to them and I think what happens is when you say yes to one thing it becomes a snowball effect a you get better you get more confidence that actually age is nothing but a number you 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 only hold yourself back and I think psychologically you might think oh I'm 17 what what am I going to say to a room full of head teachers or at a party political conference but actually there's a reason people are inviting you to speak and I think once you do it you get positive feedback you have the confidence to do something else you then start building up a community you start building up a network of other people that are change makers and you know trying to change things for the better and then you get the opportunities to kind of work with government and and again you know the, the startup britain thing was quite funny because i ended up meeting lord young who you know sadly has passed away now but he was the the government's enterprise advisor um he was speaking at an event at the 
Institute of Directors and I just went up afterwards to, to speak to him and tell him about internships and the work that I was doing with internships and he said come and see me set up a meeting and so I went to see him um, I was speaking about internships and then he said the startup Britain so startup America had just launched three months before President Obama had launched that and that kind of came up in conversation then separately myself Ollie Barrett and a few other people like Emma Emma Jones uh, were discussing you know we need something like this and the two things kind of timing kind of worked really well having just met Lord Young he was like let me set up a meeting um, with a guy called Steve Hilton who was the Prime Minister's um, special advisor at, at Downing Street we got together they said you know we we want something similar to Startup America but we want entrepreneurs to lead it so it was the right place right time networks you know people coming together but that happens over time it happens by putting yourself out there but it's, it's you know I've known you know Ollie one of the co-founders for many years when I was an undergrad at university he would come and get involved with the uh, the activities that we would run at Oxford Entrepreneurs so uh, the key I suppose message and takeaway I want to say to people listening is start developing that network and start developing that network early on don't let your circumstance your age or whatever hold you back because that's more psychological like people don't like if you've got something important you're doing something interesting people will be willing to support you do you feel there is an entrepreneur in everybody or um along the lines of what i was saying so, so you know, this is the whole born or versus made kind of debate, and and I think there is a um, there's definitely something to be said about having entrepreneurial traits and attributes early on. So, I, as I said to you, I think I demonstrated a lot of those very in, at a very young age, and and I think therefore I probably had a higher predisposition towards being an entrepreneur. I think everyone has the scope to be entrepreneurial whether they act on that and then become an entrepreneur is different. And I agree with you that I was having this conversation with someone else actually earlier this morning that I don't think everyone, it's suited for everyone to be, to run their own business. Like there are certain things you need to do that one of the most important things is like the level of comfort you need with uncertainty is just going to be far too great for a lot of people to, to stomach. Um, but I think the purpose of a campaign like that is just to wake people up to the possibility i think it's it's important to recognize that it is a possibility and i think back then there literally wasn't the awareness as there is now of it as an option but i think once you know it's an option it's important for you to then explore what does it actually mean to be an entrepreneur what does it take what are the skills and, and do i think i've got those or could i develop them or not um and i think then it's an important decision to decide like yes or no um Overall, I would agree with you that it's not for everyone. Like, I, I think if everyone could do it, everyone would potentially do it. But and therefore, just like anything, like it will suit some people more so than others. I think it's important that people recognise a it's an option, and then b there's also how you um, channel entrepreneurial traits in different environments. So the whole concept of an intrapreneur, right? So how can you be an entrepreneur within an enterprise and and start you know you don't necessarily have the risk of like am i going to earn a salary and whatnot but you're there you're, you're coming up with a new innovation you're, you're having to kind of get stakeholders on board launching a new product 
your own separate peer now. So it's like being an entrepreneur, but within a within a big business, right? Yeah. So it's, it's about the, how you demonstrate entrepreneurial tendency uh, traits in different environments effectively. I think that leads on to sort of one of the later things I wanted to ask you about. So we'll, we'll so it's a great segue in. Talking about startups as well and people starting up in business, um, it's a regular report. So the ONS, uh, Office of National Statistics, release uh, uh, data for every year uh, that talks about sort of the sustainability, like life cycle of businesses. And it's been the same for a long time that, you know, and it's off, everybody bans this, you know, 50% of businesses fail within the first year, give or take. Um, I'm more interested in the five year life cycle. And because that to me paints a bigger picture as to just over 90% of businesses fail within their first five years. And there's a whole host of different reasons how or why that can happen, but ultimately it is what it is. But once you get past that five year mark, the tail is long. You're kind of like, it's almost like you're out of the woods. Um, you know, it doesn't become easy suddenly overnight, but your chance of sustaining uh, sustainability and continuing the business beyond five years significantly increases um, beyond like any sort of recognition. Um, with the experience you've had working within uh, sort of projects ranging from Startup Britain to all the other sort of um, unlimited, you've sort of you've gone from being sort of somebody who received a grant from there to actually being a trustee, and so many others. You've been exposed to a lot of startups. Based on that, what what sort of things could people looking at starting up take into consideration? Sort of top tips, if you will to give them the best opportunity to reach that five-year mark? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Because um, I, I think, you know, companies fail for a whole different uh, raft of reasons, right? So one is, is, is around the idea itself. Like, is it sometimes you're, you're too ahead of yourself and you're too early for the, for the market? And particularly in tech, you talk about the concept of product market fit. Um, and you you need to recognize that things evolve. So if you're too wedded to the idea you launch with, that's probably a high, you're going to have a high chance of failing because the idea you probably launch with is not the idea that's actually going to succeed. So the real test is how you evolve and iterate. So you take feedback from the market, whether that be just direct customers or through testing uh, and evolving. Like in tech, sometimes it's even easier because you can have two versions of the same thing and like, they call like A-B testing, like show yeah. one audience this, show another audience that, see their response and whatnot. Um, obviously something which is more like in retail that could be more difficult. But then, you know, if you've got a new product that you're trying to sell, you've now got platforms like Kickstarter or, or, or um, like crowdfunding platforms and whatnot where you can actually see, is anyone interested in your business? Are they willing to actually put some money behind it and buy it? in the case of say something like a Kickstarter and then you're, they're basically pre-funding you to actually go ahead and, and make the thing. So, so I think, you know, the first most important thing is, is to not be too precious about your idea. The second thing I would say is about reiterate what I said before around networking. I think as cheesy as it sounds, not what you know, it's who you know, that is, it is very true um, that you can really accelerate your success by 
connecting with the right people. That could be in the form of investors, could be in form of advisors. It could just be you know, mentors that are just helping you avoid the, 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 the kind of potholes and the roadblocks on your way that have just been there, done that, because sometimes the mistakes you're going to make, they're just that path is well trodden and other people have made those mistakes before you. So don't be afraid to kind of, you know, ask for help. And I think the final thing I would say is just resilience. Sometimes you might feel like you're, you're going to die as a business, but actually being resilient, thinking creatively, you can turn situations around. Like a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs will tell you many times that where they'd basically gone bust, but something happened where they fundamentally, you know, they totally changed or pivoted their business. They started something totally different or they did something wild. Like even if you take something like um, Airbnb and how they got going and, and there's a really fascinating story about how they you know, were hustling and they created these cereals for, I think it was around the presidential campaign and they were selling these kind of cereals to kind of make some money on the side. And then, you know, you just do what you need to do to get by. And so I think that resilience is really important and not giving up prematurely. Uh, are the challenges that are facing entrepreneurs today um, pretty similar or is it a whole new ch range of challenges they face starting today compared to when you first started on this journey? I'd say overall, there are some similarities. I think I think what is different is that the, the bit I mentioned around the ability to prototype, the ability to test far more tools, platforms. You know, the whole concept of crowdfunding. You know, is is is, is newer than like at least when I started, it wasn't really a thing back then. So there are more avenues and opportunities today, I would say, than there have ever been. Um, the 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 tax breaks around. SEIS and EIS investment um, makes it easier for people to kind of be angels and invest in businesses. Um, talent is an ongoing struggle, uh, and I think that's that that will continue being issue post Brexit. That's had a, a range of its other complications and whatnot. Um, so 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 I think particularly again I'm, I'm coming from a tech because that's the industry that I'm in. Um, that has all that's that's still a challenge in, in making sure that you've got you know the right right people that you need the right skills um, but I would say that there is far more access to capital than there has been in the past um, generally people are w more well connected than they have been ever before so I think a lot of the things have improved over the years I'm not saying it's easy um, and obviously you know right now as you know the macro climate is is very challenging but at the same time historically if you look back some of the best businesses have been started in a recessionary kind of environment and in, in a downturn so it shouldn't be a reason to put people off um, but I would say that if I look back generally things have improved and gone in the in, in the right direction I would say um, looking at things like availability of, of kind of funding and and the the improvements in technology even if you you take AI and how it has um, enabled people to you know image creation through AI or like creating copy and text and so many things and tasks can now be simplified through using a tool like ChatGPT or other um, AI tools so 
I think that's exciting and a lot of new businesses will be created on the back of that, which gives people, you know, a huge number of opportunities. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know AI is something that we're spending a lot of time researching in from so many different areas of the business. And the I'm even in conversations with a local university about a talent pipeline for um, prompt engineering. I had to try and sort of rack my brain for a minute, yep. but that kind of skill set, which is um, AI is not going to take jobs. It's just changing the jobs. It's, and it's been like that for centuries as technology has evolved. The um, uh, Thinking about um, yourself now, um, what is the future for Raj? So my current venture is a company called Learnably, uh, which is a workplace learning marketplace. Uh, and so for me, the focus really is, is, is expanding. So we're, we're making a big push into the US market. Um, and so I'm spending a lot more time out there back and forth, uh, which is, you know, new for me and, and an exciting opportunity and experience. So this is now my fourth kind of venture, so Student Voice, Internship, Startup Britain and Learnably. Uh, and so with all of those things, there's been a strong thing around positive impact and social change. And as I kind of alluded to before, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is around skills, skills mismatch, and the rapid rate at which we as humans need to evolve because how quickly technology is changing too. And so for me, it's quite fulfilling to work on something around workplace learning and, and skills and, and, and adult education because it is a challenge that is, I think, is not going to go away anytime soon. So for me, I'm you know very invested and committed into um, expanding learnably globally uh, with a you know a short term kind of push into the into the US market. Okay, and the for you, do you see yourself continuing? You mentioned earlier about uh, sitting on boards and just not being old people sitting on boards. But the this you share a lot of knowledge. You've something been involved in the do you I, at the moment is your mindset uh, looking at exit for example and looking at the you have a strategy in place that will do this 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 and then this is the point where i step aside and i sort of look at other things is it is the current sort of business plan too early on that point and you've got some more short medium goals what's your what's the focus of your attention yes yeah, so we're a venture capital backed business so we did a series a investment round um end of 2021 um Generally, the, the way the, these things are is that you then do Series B, Series C. So fortunately, we don't have to go back out to market probably until 2025. So we've got some some time to really prove out the the US expansion story. And, and our next round would most likely be led by US investors. Um, on, on an exit, it's something that you can never prejudge per se. I think we wouldn't be looking any time in the short term to, to, to exit the business, but we do get approached quite regularly from companies that are interested in, in, in potentially buying or collaborating with us. So I'd have to kind of review that on its merits as and when they kind of arise. But for me, there's there's a lot to achieve over the next you know couple of years at least to um, particularly to really expand what we're doing into the US market. That's the biggest opportunity for us. So I want to kind of see that kind of through to, to kind of fruition um, and uh, and yeah, and, and continue to grow the company, but obviously be mindful of what may come our way in between. So I think it's too early to necessarily 
say definitely it's going to be this or that. Um, it's more about kind of growing what we've got in, into a new market. Okay. Um, and the last one really, uh, based on your experience, life experience, business experience you have now, if you were sat in front of your younger self, um, knowing what the journey that person was starting on, um, whether that's secondary, whether that's leaving university, you pick the point in time. Um, what sort of key piece of advice would you give yourself? Do you know what? It's, it's an interesting. I get asked this question quite a bit, actually. Um, and, and I think there's potentially a, 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 an implication that there's like. So the advice, the general advice I would give it is, you know, enjoy the journey. But I think generally connected to my mindset is that I don't have any regrets. So there's nothing I would say to myself of like, look out for this or don't do this, don't do that. I, I genuinely believe that everything that's happened to me over the 20 years since I was 17 to 37 has happened for my best and has been an opportunity to learn. So there's literally nothing I would do differently. Whether everything has gone absolutely to plan, absolutely not. You know, I made some really silly mistakes at the beginning. I, you know, didn't really understand the value of equity and I gave up too much equity in, in internships early on, which I had to then renegotiate and get out of. And yeah, so, so clearly there's some tactical stuff, but actually that was such an important lesson to go through would I really tell myself not to do it? I don't, I don't think so. So it's more connected to my psychology, which is like, I genuinely think everything has been a learning experience. I don't have a, um, a conventional view on kind of failure, which seems very binary, like you, you succeed or you fail. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I would just say, enjoy the journey. It's a, it's a journey full of ups and downs. Um, and yeah, and just stick at it, which is, I suppose, what I've done. I love that because you are, um, I've been asked a question and I thought I was a bit um, odd because everybody seemed to be expecting me to like say, well, don't do this, don't do that. And I'd always had this view that those things that have happened and some of them haven't been very nice, they haven't been great. And I go back way beyond business to like younger years, childhood, all the way through into business. And I sit there and I think, actually, I'm, you know, the sort of the butterfly effect, the ripple of the, uh, the, if I was to, if, you know, if there was a TARDIS and I went back and changed one thing and it impacted other things, you don't know what the impact would be. And the lessons yeah. have learned from them exactly as you said. So I've asked and I've had the same answer you've had. And nobody, when I've asked other people, they've come up with these. And there was only one other person, uh, in fact, a lady whose episode that hasn't been out yet. So she's coming out in a few weeks, who said the same as what you've just said and then you. And I've just, I feel there's other people out there that share that same value and belief. You need to experience these things to sort of benefit and learn from them. And it doesn't matter how shaky or wobbly or at the time how tough it feels. The, yeah. take from it the knowledge and learn be, um, to help shape your future decisions uh, the lived experience can't be beaten um, so it's great to Thanks sort of somebody else who shares that same um, sort of belief so brilliant thank you for that the Raj it's been fantastic chatting with you I want to thank you for your time uh, it's sort of so many lessons uh, within there and uh, sort of, so people can benefit from um, so it's been a pleasure Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Drive. I hope you found it insightful and useful. But before I go, have a look at the app you're listening to this podcast on. 
see that follow button, give it a press, and you'll be notified of all future episodes as they come out. It also helps us understand where most of our followers are and where to really be pushing this podcast to.